Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Harden My Take, the number one podcast on thedreamshake.com, home of all things Houston Rockets on SBNation.com. Jeremy Brenner here, and today, Michael Brown, we are going to relive the greatest single game comeback in Rockets history. Color me excited, Jeremy. Uh, color me very excited. Uh, this is, we spoke about it on our last show, uh, that we should expand on this game because there's a lot of layers, if you will. It's like a, this game is like a seven layer dip, right? It's, there, there's a lot of things to get into and they're all wonderful and they're all, they're all fantastic. So. Yeah, so this is part of Underdog Week here at SB Nation and as part of Underdog Week. Uh, on our last episode, we discussed four of the greatest comebacks in uh, in Rockets history. Go check that out if you haven't done so already. It's a bit of a prelude uh, for what we're going to be breaking down today. So the fourth of our four comebacks that we discussed on our last episode was the Rockets-Clippers comeback game 6, 2015, which took a place five years and a week ago today. And now we are going to totally break this down minute by minute. Uh, as much as we can, this this comeback, and I'm excited for this. Absolutely. So let's move. I just had a small interruption, but now we're uh, back back on the floor. So let's kind of set the scene here a little bit. So we have the uh, the Rockets are playing the Clippers. It's the second round, uh, the Western Conference semifinals, and we had a. Uh, we had a 3-2 deficit here. Originally, it was three games to one. And at that point in NBA history, only five teams had come back from a 3-1 deficit. Um, or it was it was something like maybe nine. Uh, the Rockets were trying to become the, sec- the second franchise to do this twice. Uh, the Celtics being the first, the Rockets trying to become the second. They took care of business in game five to bring the series to three to two to force this game six. But through three quarters, Mike, uh, this looked like it was going the Clippers way. Yeah. The just felt like going into the fourth quarter uh, that this season was over, Um, which is how I felt before I watched the game over again. Cause last night I actually watched this entire game. The three-pointer from Josh Smith, I want to say it was right before the fourth quarter. And I'm fairly certain it cut the lead for the Clippers to 10. I want to say it was 10. We were down by 13. What was the score going into? Oh, So at, at one point during the Rockets' largest deficit in this game was 19 points. And that was... At 2.35 left in the third quarter, Chris Paul uh, with a layup to make it a 19-point lead for the Clippers. Then, uh, it with 
41 seconds to go in the third quarter. Terrence Jones uh, sinks a three with 41 seconds to go to cut cut it down to 10. Jamal Crawford answers with a three of his own, and the Rockets go into the fourth quarter trailing 92-79. to 79. So a 13-point deficit on top of this uh, with your season on the line. It, was, it looked as if the writing was on the wall and the Rockets were picking out uh, what coffin they were going to lay the 2015 season in. And then as they were coffin shopping, Corey Brewer and Josh Smith said, no, no, that's not happening. Um, I cannot think of a, a more perfect pair to lead a comeback in the fourth quarter of an elimination game against a team that you did not have any business beating in their building. Josh Smith went full Ty Crane and Coach Carter on the Los Angeles Clippers in the fourth quarter. Couldn't stop him. The guy was a monster. You would think you would think that going so obviously the team lied on James Harden's shoulders and James Harden historically since he has been the centerpiece of the team since he's really come to Houston he uh, his minutes he usually sits during the first part of the fir- the fourth quarter however in a situation like this we were expecting James Harden uh, to come out and play all 12 minutes. I mean, your, your season's on the line here. You you got to put your best five forward, regardless of how many minutes they've played beforehand. But Kevin McHale stuck to his rotation, and he stuck with the guys that he, that he had in that later part of the third quarter. So at 133 left in the third quarter... Trevor Reza subs uh, subs in for James Harden. So your uh, starting five to enter this fourth quarter, pretty much um, when, when all of the scoring started, is you have Jason Terry at point guard, you have uh, Corey Brewer, you have Terrence Jones, Josh Smith, and Dwight Howard. That's that's your five that you're counting on to save your season. And I mean. Mike, that, that's not the five that you would come to mind as, as the five people on that team that would save your season. So, yes, you're 100% right. It is important to note, and people forget this a lot about this specific game, James Harden shot terribly from the floor. He was only 5 of 20 from the floor. He also had 23 points. So it's important to note that without Harden, what position would they be in if they didn't play with him the first three quarters. So it is important to know that those 23 points were vital to the ability for those five guys to make a run in the fourth quarter. So I don't want it to seem like you just sat Harden because he sucked the whole night. Because overall, was he bad? I mean, you scored 23 points in three quarters in a game six in the playoffs. I mean... Yeah, he did. I mean, he he got to the line 11 times. And that's an effective strategy. And it is. And... I love how people bash on guys like Harden and guys that get to the line a lot in the playoffs. Because last time I checked, points are points, and it really doesn't matter how they come. Amen. So, I mean, I don't care if, if Harden this year in the playoffs, if we get to play, he scores all of his points from the free throw line. I don't care. Those are points. You know, it is what it is. 
Um, so that, I, I, hate, I hate when people do that. I hate basketball fans that just say, oh, you know, this, dude, shut up. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. No need to apologize. But uh, to combat this, you know, somewhat of a second unit for the Rockets, I mean, of those five players, really, Dw- Dwight Howard's the only guy that's really a, a full-time starter on your team, usually. I mean, Terrence Jones found his way, you know, swapping between him and Donatus Modiunas as to who was that starting for. Patrick Beverly was the starting point guard for this team throughout the regular season, but he was injured and didn't even play in the playoffs. And then you have, uh, I mean, I guess Trevor Reza was your starting three. So uh, add with Trevor Reza in there um, and Dwight Howard, you had three of your, your bench guys pretty much. You had Josh Smith, Terrence Jones, and you had uh, Jason Terry. So that that was their second unit. And the Clippers, the Clippers had a lot of their first unit guys out on the floor with this time. Blake Griffin enters the game with 9.59 to go. At, the point, at that point, the Rockets had... Uh, an 11-point deficit to to come back come back from. So they had Blake Griffin, Chris Paul. He uh, with Matt. Uh, he had Chris Paul, Jamal Crawford, who was their sixth man. Blake Griffin, I believe, and then JJ Redick, who's their starting two guard, and um probably DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. So that that's their starting five pretty much, uh, with the exception of Jamal Crawford. Uh, Matt Barnes was the one who started this game and he would eventually come in uh, to replace uh, he would come in to the game uh, for Chris Paul for a little bit of that run so yeah I mean the Clippers were really playing their best guys yet that didn't stop the Rockets from going on this run so this run totally should never have happened no they had no business winning this game uh, no. they, they, none, but it was a mixture of everything going right for the Rockets. They, they basically did no wrong in the fourth quarter in this game. When you outscore the home team in an elimination game in their home building by 25 points, they outscored them 40 to 15 in the fourth quarter. So they basically did no wrong, but you could see there was about, what was it? It was around the, the five-minute mark where the Rockets took the lead on one of the most beautiful passes. I believe it was by Josh Smith to Corey Brewer, who was streaking up the left side of the court and goes in for the dunk to put us up by two. That ties the game with 421 to go. Ties the game. Okay. So it was the, the play that set that up was Blake Griffin just wildly taking the ball from the three-point line, going on a dribble iso to the bucket. The Rockets playing fantastic defense and then flipping the court. And it's like you could tell the Clippers were done. They were finished. They they started taking stupid shots, um, which was shocking to me. I mean, it, it was befuddling me. I was like, okay, what is going on? Like, the Clippers are going to make their run. We're probably going to lose this game by four or five points. Good job, good effort. See you next season. But it never happened. Yeah, because the thing with the Rockets here is going into the series, they were the underdog, despite having home court. They had the same record as the Clippers, a 56-win Clippers team. 
arguably this Clippers team out of all of those Lob City teams, this one was considered to be the best of them all. And they were serious title contenders because at this point in the league, the Warriors, the Warriors, this was their first championship year. So the Clippers were really there at the beginning of the season as, as one of the favorites to possibly come out of the West along with San Antonio. But they and then they met San Antonio in that first round and people uh, were very surprised that that would be a first round matchup. And that series is one of the greatest first round series in NBA history. It went the distance, went seven games. I remember game seven so well because it was also the same night as the Pacquiao Mayweather fight that had been totally, you know, that had been hyped up for so long. And this was right before it. And Chris Paul lands that, you know, beautiful floater uh, in the end to win this game, to move on, to play the Rockets in the second round. And this Clippers team, it was just, it's one of the best teams in the West in the 2010s that, and it's also one of the teams that underperformed. This team was projected to beat the Clippers. Every game in this series was not a surprise. It was every, you know, the Clippers were, you know, surprised. It wasn't a surprise the Clippers won game one. Uh, it wasn't a surprise that they won the two games in L.A. to go up three to one. It wasn't a surprise that, you know, they lost game five because they're, you know, give them to the Rockets. But when you were up 19 in the third at home, it's like, okay, this is, you know, this is how it ends. I, you know, color me surprised and, you know, thanks for a good season, Rockets. But Clearly, the Rockets had something to say. So let's get to a point. So we start here in the in the fourth quarter where the Rockets are trailing by 13. Corey Brewer uh, was a huge part of this. I mean, if you had to pick an MVP of this fourth quarter, who, who do you give it to? You give it to Josh Smith. Josh Smith. It's yeah. not, to, to me, it's only because of Corey Brewer hit the huge three that we'll get to in a minute in the corner, but that was off of a broken play that never should have happened. A lot of the plays that Josh Smith made were manufactured by, by him. The threes that he hit, the passes that he had, the defense that he played. Uh, so for me, Josh Smith, not even – he's one, and Corey Brewer is definitely two. I wouldn't even call it a one and one A. To me, it's a clear one two. What do you think? I think part of that is because Corey Brewer at the end, uh, at the beginning of the come, at the early part of the fourth quarter, he was the guy that was generating that offense. And then towards the back half of this quarter was when it was really coming from Josh Smith. So Corey Brewer had 15 points in this game, and one point from the free throw, two points from a layup. Three points here, seven. He had he had so he had a and one. He had a three. He had a two. So he had nine of his fifteen points within a span of from eleven twelve in the fourth quarter all the way to seven twenty nine. So in a span of about four minutes, he had nine of his fifteen points in the game, and that. But also his ninth point brought the Rockets to within nine. So this is kind of where Josh Smith comes in because after Corey Brewer makes his nine his nine point run because at that point Corey Brewer had nine out of the 
the first 12 points in that fourth quarter for the Rockets. Then Josh Smith comes out, buries the two threes to cut the lead, to cut the Clippers lead from nine to five. Or excuse me, not yeah, nine to he goes from nine to six, and then Chris Paul has one, so it goes from nine to five. That didn't make sense in my head. I'm not a math major, but I'm reading in here. I can see that it was 102 to 97 with 625 to go. That's a five-point deficit for the Rockets. Uh, and then he goes out with another layup to cut the lead to three. And then that's kind of where it goes from there. Corey Brewer makes uh, the the tie and the go-ahead. Uh, that's, you know, five more points for him. So it's all 15 of Corey Brewer's points came in this fourth quarter. And Josh Smith also uh, with two threes to uh, shrink the lead. He had eight straight Rockets points to go from uh, nine to from nine to three, and then he has the free throw here at at three o four. He has a three to put them up nine, and then another free throw here. Uh, two more free throws to end the game. So. I mean, but also it's more not necessarily what Josh Smith did scoring wise, but also what he did because he was really the point guard in in this unit. And also defensively, what Josh Smith was able to do defensively during this game, during this quarter was without question, super huge for the Rockets. Yeah, I'm looking at the at the 757 mark when they were down 12. So it was 97-85. Ariza goes to the bucket, and it looks like DeAndre Jordan saves the ball to Corey Brewer in the corner. Brewer hits the three to put them down nine. So they go down nine at that point. They come back down the floor. Clippers hit a three, and Brewer goes to the bucket for the end one. So that was six straight points by him within a, a minute stretch. Um you don't win this game with, without either one of them, right? Yeah. Um, to me, the, the befuddling thing was the – I used the word befuddle twice tonight, so that's pretty cool. Um, Doc Rivers got outcoached by Kevin McHale in the fourth quarter. One which, Celtic legend outcoaching another. Right, which Great. is awesome. <laughs> um, but there, there's certain things like – for me, if you look at the Clippers roster, right, who would you have guarding Corey Brewer in the fourth quarter? Matt Barnes, I don't think, was quick enough to stay with Brewer. Redick is more of an offensive threat. He's never been much of a defensive guy. Chris Paul, I, I mean, Brewer was bigger, and you really don't want to waste Chris Paul like that chasing Corey Brewer around. So Corey Brewer, I, I mean, it's crazy to say, but he was a matchup nightmare i guess is the way you could put it with how much en- yeah with how much energy he was, he was bringing he, he wasn't the best player on the court, but if, right and if you're the clippers i mean you put blake griffin on josh smith but josh smith has never been an inside guy and blake griffin has never been a guy who can cover a perimeter guy so it's like okay i mean you put matt barnes on josh smith i mean josh smith would have torn matt barnes apart the one guy who had a terrible plus-minus in this game, but I would have, if I was the Clippers, I would have had Austin Rivers on the court in the fourth quarter simply for his size 
and the way that he played defensively, I think he could have been a good matchup for them against the Corey Brewer, uh, against, you know, any of the guard forwards on the court Austin Rivers could have played with. But they didn't have a lot coming off of the bench. You know, you think about who are their best bench guys? Crawford. Jamal Crawford was a minus 27 in this game. You had Austin Jamal Rivers. Crawford just ended up on the – the thing is what happened was they kind of used – like Corey Brewer and uh, Jamal Crawford were contemporaries in the game. When Corey Brewer was on the court – Jamal Crawford was on the court and he may have, you know, he was probably guarding him during some uh, sequences. He wasn't necessarily always guarding him, but Corey Brewer is probably the contemporary of Jamal Crawford in the scenario. I mean, if the Rockets, I mean, they're both the sixth man of the Rockets this year was, I mean, technically Corey Brewer and the sixth man for the Clippers is Jamal Crawford. And if you look at the plus minuses, Jamal Crawford's minus 27, Corey Brewer a plus 32, a lot of that is because Corey Brewer played a lot of this fourth quarter. Right. And if you look at their bench outside of that was garbage. I mean, you had Glenn Davis, Spencer Hawes. They didn't play Turkaloo. They didn't play Ekpe Udo. They didn't play DeHonte Jones. And no disrespect, but who the hell is Lester Hudson? This looks like a Mike D'Antoni rota- rotation. <laughs> right. And it's, it's crazy to think about the, their main five was DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin, Chris Paul, J.J. Redick and Matt Barnes. I believe Matt Barnes has won. Did he win one title with the Warriors? Was he with the Warriors in that? No, I believe he won titles with the Lakers, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Or, so, no, he actually, actually, here, he did win a title with the Warriors. His last, okay. his last season, 2016-2017, was I thought. a winner with the Warriors. So, I mean, but he also wasn't a... Uh, he he started five. He played twenty games for the for the Warriors and started five. Uh, he averaged 0.8 points in the playoffs. So I mean, he won so, the championship, but he wasn't so he part was, of that core. He was on that team, but if you look at the rest of those guys, Redick, Paul, Griffin, and Jordan, they've never won a title. And to me, Blake Griffin is one of the five most overrated basketball players in the league. I don't think I don't. I think he's good. But he, he's always going to be a great player on a crappy team at this point. Like, he's in Detroit. If he goes somewhere, he'll go somewhere. He's still going to make good money. But I think he's overrated. I think DeAndre Jordan is a nice player. I think Chris Paul, he's the anomaly to me. Like, it, I don't think he's going to win a title in Oklahoma City. But I think if he pushes his way to a title contender, i.e. the Los Angeles Lakers, I think he could win a title. And Redick, I don't know. But I think this is – they were a fragile – they were an emotionally fragile – fragile? Emotionally fragile team. Like, if they got any sort of we're going to punch you in the mouth after you punch us, they were done. And and the Rockets showed it. And it started in the fourth quarter of this game, and they finished it off at Game 7 at Toyota Center. So, you know, I think for them, I think it was good to split it up because obviously the Clippers are one of the best teams in the league now. But that core for them didn't work. Yeah. So the thing with the Clippers here is I think with Blake Griffin, this was his chance to make, to, to bring his career to the next level. And this was Chris Paul's chance as well. You know, then, I mean, Chris Paul would get a chance again to do this with, you know, Houston, but this was Blake Griffin's best chance to make, you know, make his career 
send his career to that next level because sure. at this point this is this is the one game where the clippers had the chance to go to the conference finals for the first time in franchise history this is franchise this is the franchise's best team in fran- in franchise history i'm saying franchise a lot but this is the best team in clippers history and they had it on a silver platter and I think that's a big reason why this is not really discussed a whole lot is because this is seen more as a Clippers collapse. And in there's talks about collapsing and and we but we also don't celebrate it a lot. This is not seen as a big Rockets comeback in the NBA sphere because of people brand this as a Clippers collapse. And by all means Yes, it was a collapse from the Clippers. Uh, however, and they they went so after they go up eight, it's one hundred two ninety four, and they this was at the six forty seven mark. They do not score again until one hundred one to go, and this is a free throw from Chris Paul. So they went a good five, nearly six minutes without scoring. So from this, they went 0 for 1, 0 for 2, 0 for 3, 0 for 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 11. They went 0 for 11 in the fourth quarter. And they saw their lead go from 8 to trailing by 8. So this is a 16-point swing here for the Rockets. Do you think that Josh Smith on every team that he was a part of was the guy that the coaching staff, every time he shot the ball for more than four feet out said, Josh, don't do it. Okay. Okay. All right, Josh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, there, like, there you go. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Josh Smith was the captain of that. Um, and I loved him for it. Jerry, I absolutely loved mm-hmm. Josh Smith for that because he knew who he was and piggybacking off what you just said. I think the Clippers struggled with a with an identity. Like, what were they? You have Chris they were, Paul. They were Lob City. Well, they were Lob City. Okay, so you're Lob City, but then you have guys like J.J. Redick, and then you have guys like you played – the six players that they played, Blake Griffin, J.J. Redick, Chris Paul, Jamal Crawford, DeAndre Jordan, Austin Rivers, and Matt Barnes. Sorry, so that's seven. You have Blake – you have Chris Paul who has to have the ball in his hands to be successful. You have Blake Griffin, who has to get touches to be successful. J.J. Redick, if he's not shooting threes, really, what is he doing? And then you have guys like Austin Rivers. So he's a good three-point shooter, but he's not really a great three-point shooter, but he's a good slasher. But if he's a slasher, then what are you doing with Chris Paul? You can have both guys slashing. What are you doing with Jamal Crawford? If Jamal Crawford's not touching the ball, how successful is he? They had it. To me, that's, a, that's an identity crisis. Like the Rockets were centered around two guys, James Harden and Dwight Howard. Okay, you take Dwight Howard out of the game. Who's your facilitator? It was Jason, or it was Josh Smith. Josh Smith was the guy that you looked to to say, "Here's the ball, go do something with it." Yeah, he was the guy in that fourth quarter who set up. Uh, he set up Trevor Ariza for a big three in the beginning part of the the quarter. Uh, he was the guy who, uh, when they were, what was it, 100 to 91, he comes down, he gets the ball from Trevor Ariza, he goes through a couple screens, hits the three, it's 194. He was the, their facilitator. You knew what was going on. Corey Brewer was just happy to be in the game and getting playing time, and he's just going to be the greyhound running up and down the court. 
Like all of their guys knew what they were going to do. The Clippers, I don't think, have that. And I think the reason why I think that the worst thing for Josh Smith's career was going to Detroit because Detroit was not a system in which he could succeed in. And I think in Atlanta, he was in Atlanta. He was working towards something. You know, it wasn't like he was on the decline when he left Atlanta and him leaving Detroit was him going to chase money and he got the money and they keep in mind, they have paid him every single year up until this season. They've been paying him after that buyout and they held like a, a parade in the city of Detroit uh, after they stopped paying him because they couldn't find a way to do it with him. It wasn't that Josh Smith was a washed player. It was just he was he was not being utilized correctly. And the Rockets brought him in to be that facilitator when James Harden was not in the game. So when James Harden is sitting on the bench, that allows Josh Smith to do what Josh Smith does best. You saw earlier in the playoffs when they faced the Mavericks, he, was, he had nine assists in the second half. Why? Because he was able to do, he's a creator, and he was the creator on this floor. Jason Terry is the quote-unquote point guard, but in in true fashion, Jason Terry was never really a point guard in his career. He was a good shooting guard. I, I see him more as a shooting guard than a point guard, in my opinion. I mean, he played next to James Harden. That's why he was able to play next to him, because he could be a shooter and James was the main facilitator. But Josh Smith was able to be the facilitator. And because he was a big man on top of that, they forced Blake Griffin to come out. And that put the Clippers into disarray. They finally, the Rockets finally found a way to crack the Clippers. And it came to this point. So there are points throughout this run that made you think, oh, this is, something's going to happen here. And the I think the first moment that happened was when Terrence Jones hits the three in the third quarter. Then there was the Corey Brewer three from the corner when DeAndre Jordan saved that. Mike, what did you think when he hit that? Would, were you thinking, okay, that's just another three? Or were you like, that's not supposed to happen, but it did. And there might be something more to this. There's, I, I definitely thought that there was something more to this. Trevor Reza drives to the bucket. Great defensive play by DeAndre Jordan, but for some reason saves the ball to Brewer, and that cuts it from 97 to 88. So then you're, you're within – I think that's the, the, the pivotal point now is if your team is losing the entire game by double digits, let's say, what is every, every fan's standpoint is cut it to 10 by the fourth. If you cut it to 10 by the fourth, you have a shot. And that cut it to nine with 7.30 left. And I thought at that point, I thought that's when they were going to bring Harden back. Because it's like, okay, it's nine-point lead. He sat for, you know, what, five, six minutes at that point. Bring Harden back in. Let's go to work. And McHale didn't do it. And I I would have never have made that call if I was Kevin McHale. So, I'll ask you this. So, at this point, so uh, 7.10 left in the fourth in the fourth quarter, uh, turnover. So Josh Smith uh, steals the ball from Matt Barnes and hits a three in transition. Then uh, there's a timeout here at 5.57. Rockets are down five. Do you bring James Harden into the game? It's too late. At 5.57, it's too late. I mean, it's a five, you cut it down to five at that point. Mm-hmm. The, the time to do it was – because then what? He, then it's unfair to James Harden to do that. 
And I know people are going to scoff at that and say, well, what are you talking about? When a guy's been sitting, when a guy of James Harden's caliber is brought out of a game, it should be systematic. You see it a lot now. Like D'Antoni will take him out typically with what? What is it him or Westbrook that comes out with two minutes left in the first? Somebody comes out with two minutes left. Usually in the first, Westbrook. Usually so Westbrook, Westbrook, right? But then they always, yeah, and they always bring him or, back. No, no, no. Westbrook comes out with six minutes left in the first or so, four to six minutes left. Harden comes out with two minutes left in the first. Right. So that's the way you want your superstars treated is so every night, oh my goodness. you know, right, you, you know who's coming out and who's, you know, when they're going back in. At 5.57, it's too late, though, because then he's been sitting for eight minutes. The team's going to feel like we've been doing so well as a cohesive unit, but because Harden's back in, we have to force feed the ball to him. Things start going wrong. Things could go downhill very quickly. You had to stay with the rotation that you had. When ESPN airs their 13-part documentary uh, called The Last Beard, that's the question I want to ask James Harden is, when did you know you weren't coming in this game? Like, when, when did Mikhail give you the nod, or did you just understand it totally? And I'll ask you this, Mike, if he does come in at any point, so, like, let's say he comes in, you know, they're down 10. So, like, with 9.59 left in the in the fourth quarter, uh, there was a pair of free throws Chris Paul was having. So that was an opportunity for James Harden to come in. Uh, or with 5.55, with 5.57 left, if James Harden comes out of this game, do the Rockets, or comes back into the game, do the Rockets win this game? No. I, I would don't. agree with you. Be- because for the simple fact that the magic in what they had going, every highlight you look at um, is Corey Brewer, Ariza, or Josh Smith. You had to have Dwight Howard in the game, right? Howard wasn't coming out of the game because mm-hmm. he, had he had 21 points and 20 rebounds. And he held DeAndre Jordan. Not only did he do that, but he kept DeAndre Jordan off the boards. DeAndre Jordan only had nine rebounds this game. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't going to come out if, I mean, you could conceivably take out Jason Terry, but you needed somebody of similar stature to Chris Paul to chase him around. So you weren't going to take Terry out. If mm-hmm. you take Brewer out, then you're losing what we just talked about. And you can't take Ariza out. And you can't say Josh Smith now. So it's like, where, does, yeah. where was Harden going to play? Uh, I, I, and it's, I, and it's I weird to say that. that but. I would say that either um, – I would say that because they were playing big, they were going to keep Josh Smith in there. I think they would have taken out Jason Terry. Um, that's my personal opinion. Um, but I, I think that the reason – I think that the Rockets don't win this game if Harden comes in only because – Look, Corey Brewer is a really good fit next to James Harden. He was for his uh, for his Rockets senior. Corey Brewer was a great fit, and he's a he's a Harden guy, just like Austin Rivers is a good uh, Harden guy, just like Patrick Beverly was a good Harden guy, uh, just like Capella was a good Harden guy. Uh, Corey Brewer fit that. Trevor Reza fit that. I don't think necessarily Josh Smith fit that mold, but Josh Smith was able to fit with Dwight Howard. He was able to fit with Trevor Ariza. He was able to fit with Terrence Jones somewhat-ish. I mean, when he was the point guard, when Josh Smith was the point guard, it made sense. Uh, But maybe maybe that's who they take out. Maybe they take out Terrence Jones. Maybe they go with their starting uh, five-ish, I guess. 
yeah, I mean, so it would have been Terry, Harden, Ariza, Brewer, you know, Howard. I mean, that's a very strange uh, – that wasn't a very uh, utilized that, – that specific rotation of five was not particularly utilized with Kevin McHale during that late part of that season. Um, but, yeah, I just, to me, the whole reason was this, this five was gelling. This five made the most sense, and this five was working. And my dad always says, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And there was no fixing to do because it didn't matter who was out there. At the end of the day, I all I care about is the five guys that have rockets across their chest are scoring more points than the five guys that have clippers across their chest. It doesn't matter who. And I think that's what makes this comeback, this underdog story, so special is because this team, despite all the odds against them, and despite this never supposed to be a, a thing in the first place, they were able I'll to get it done. Yeah, and I'll give you a perfect example, right? At 102.97 with 5.27 left, there was a play. This is the one where, where Josh Smith – so the, the, Josh Smith is being covered by DeAndre Jordan and Blake – Dwight Howard and, and Josh Smith were being covered by Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. And Dwight Howard sets a pick, and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan are in no man's land because they have no idea what to do or who to cover. Josh Smith gets an easy layup. Well, okay, well, let's take this out, right? So on the court, you have Ariza, Josh Smith, Dwight Howard, Jason Terry, and Corey Brewer. For the Clippers, you have Matt Barnes, Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, and J.J. Redick. In this scenario, two points would come off the board because James Harden would be being covered by somebody completely different, and they probably have a chance to stop this play. The entire fourth quarter, fourth quarter was about matchups for the Rockets, and they had nobody who could stay with Josh Smith, and nobody could match the energy of Corey Brewer. And that makes it 102.99. And it was it was downhill for the Clippers from there. They could not stop the Rockets because they were just playing fast. They were playing quick, play good defense, get up the court and get an easy bucket. Put this five of the Rockets and put the five of the Clippers, and let's just put them in a simulation of a hundred games. No subs, no fatigue, no nothing. How many games do the Rockets win out of fifty? Uh, out of a hundred, uh, out, out of a hundred, I don't know. Jason's Terry body probably couldn't make it through a hundred games at this point <laughs> well, in his career. Count. He doesn't count. Okay. It's just this five, the Rockets five versus the Clippers five. They meet up at Lifetime or or Twenty Four Hour Fitness or wherever you go and work out post quarantine. They're playing a pickup game. Just the well, lay five, up the Rockets five of the Clippers. They play a the hundred games. Five? Who wins? Who's the Rockets five? The Rockets five is the five that they played the whole fourth quarter with. So it'd be Jason, Jason, Jason Terry, Terry. Okay. Corey Brewer, Trevor Ariza, Josh Smith, and Dwight Howard. Out of 100 games, um, I think they win more than you think. I mean, I think the, the Clippers team definitely wins a lion's share. It's, to me, it's probably 70-30. The Rockets with 70? No, the Rockets would win thirty. The Rockets win thirty. Okay, yeah, I would. I would go with like seventy-five, twenty-five, or yeah. even eighty, twenty. But this was one of those times, though, where it was one of those twenty to thirty games. But it wasn't just one of those wins; they dominated. Like that right. to me is what's crazy about this whole thing. Like this team had no business winning. But you also have to think about 
how tough the Rockets five that you just described are, mm-hmm. right? Dwight Howard, one of the best, best big men in the league. Jason Terry, been through it all. Multiple teams, uh, multiple championships. Like, he, he's been there, done that. Corey Brewer, people forget that Corey, they thought of Corey Brewer as this goofy, clumsy guy who just ran fast. Corey Brewer, it was tough. And by the way, one of the nicest human beings I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Mm-hmm. Trevor Ariza, would love to have him back. One of the NBA's most professional uh, ball players, right? Shows up every night, doesn't make waves, plays the game hard. And Josh Smith is the ultimate wild card. Josh Smith was a guy that you're talking about just a pickup game at LA Fitness would be one of the most dangerous men in LA Fitness because he could very easily, you know, you play to a game, you know, go to 15, ones and twos, win by two. He's a guy who could streak off nine, 10 points in a row without even thinking twice. And so, the thing with Josh Smith is his career was done for. He yeah. was waived. Nobody wanted him. He was yeah. left out for his NBA career to rot. And, and you know, that was the like, yeah, his, his best game, his best games stretch that I watched him play was as a rocket. I mean, yeah, he had, he had good years in Atlanta and all that stuff. That was great. But coming to Houston, because it almost was like a feeling of he was wanted. You know, think about this year's team. Ben McLemore, same thing. Gerald Green, their careers have been resurrected by coming to the Rockets. And that's why the Jason notion, Terry? Jason Terry, the notion that guys in this league don't want it. James Harden's a ball hog. He can't pass. Can't do all these different things. Okay, nobody wants to play with them. That's why they've gotten Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, uh, Russell Westbrook, uh, P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, all of these guys, high-level NBA players, want to come here and stay here. You know, like P.J. Tucker, I'm sure we'll talk about this in future episodes, P.J. Tucker has to retire as a Rocket. There's nothing more Houston Rocket than P.J. Tucker right now. I love that guy. Robert Covington. Clint Capella, all these guys who were drafted here wanted, wanted to stay here. I wanted Clint Capella to stay here. But it, it's uh, there, I, I, I will rewatch this game until the end of time. This is a game, you know, every fan has a top 10 games of their teams that they'll always watch. This game is in my 10, top five, probably forever. Because it was so great, you know? It was great. And I think. I think a big part of this, you know, this obviously the Rockets were on the brink of elimination and there's something about uh, not having anything to lose and just playing it all and laying it all out on the court. And why not taking a play out of Russell Westbrook's play? Why not? Yeah, for why sure. not? And that's what that's what their attitude was. That's what their mindset was. And that can be one of the most dangerous things in the NBA is a team that is playing for just the strict point of just playing because they can. And yeah. that can that's that's what leads to these big upsets from these big underdogs. We talk, you know, the you know the the Cavs from 2016, the uh, the We Believe Warriors from 2007 with, you know, Jamal Crawford, Matt Barnes being part of this episode. That that's part of it. Um, with, you know, it, I mean, there are so many ways to tell the story, but in the rocket sphere, this is, this is it. 
this, in my opinion, is the best comeback in franchise history. And it's because they literally had nothing to lose. And despite, and, and that's the thing is, is despite all of that, they, they kept going, even though the odds were stacked against them, they did it. And that, and the thing is, and maybe it's because it's just so fresh in our minds because this most recent uh, account of some big comeback from the Rockets and hopefully we'll get some in the future. I think that the team that is currently uh, employed by the Rockets has this kind of potential because they are, people count them out. And the Rockets have never really, I mean, they've been in this position before, but it's been a while. And I think it's honestly been since this 2015 team where they were kind of counted out, left for dead. And they said, why not? And they, they did, they overachieved. And, and hopefully I, I, that's the case for this team because that would, that would make for a real fun playoff stretch when, you know, the game eventually does return. I think that there's, there's two things I want to comment on. The first being uh, this could prove to be a turning point in James Harden's career with the Rockets as well. I mean, you have to think a guy of his caliber that year – he averaged 29 points, right? But being sat for the fourth quarter had to be, and I think it was a wake-up call for James Harden, that you have to modify your game. You have to change the way you, uh, you approach the game. And it was shortly thereafter the Rockets acquired Chris Paul, make the run to the Western Conference Finals. They were one hamstring away from a championship. Um, and his numbers have adjusted since that season, right? His scoring continues to go up. Uh, he averaged the next three years, 29, 30, and 36 points a game. Uh, his assists uh, tapered 11.2 in 16, 17, and then 8 and 7.5. So that's the first part. The second part is I think the playoffs with this Rockets team is going to look a lot like a pickup game in L.A. Fitness, right? I think they're going to treat it like that. They're going to treat it like, a, look, we got Russell Westbrook and James Harden, right? They're banking on – Give me a team that can line up with us and beat us four times out of seven with those two guys, Covington, P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, Austin Rivers. Uh, I mean, that's it. Maybe we'll get a playoff game in, L- in an L.A. fitness this year. We might. I, hell, I mean, I, well. I would love it. I would absolutely <laughs> love it because this team, they're the oldest team in the league. I want them because I think that the way that they're going to play is – very, uh, it'll resemble a lot the way the Rockets played in that fourth quarter against the Clippers, right? Taking out Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan, they're just going to play as fast as they can. Josh, you know, uh, they're going to get the ball in their hands and they are going to run. They are going to run the entire game. So it worked in that fourth quarter. I think it's going to have a lot of success in the playoffs this year. I hope we get to see that. I genuinely hope. Because I would love to see a Clippers-Rockets playoff matchup, which I think is entirely possible. Yeah, I mean, hey, anything is possible with, with what we've got going on. But uh, I think I would love to see what this uh, Rockets team has in store. And hopefully they can uh, capture some of the magic that the 2015 team had in store. But that's all for today's episode of Harden My Take. Mike, this was a fun one. 
I want to I want to do more of these where we just break down a game and I I can't wait for you know with this optimism about uh, the game coming back and and New York talking about opening up the pro sports again and California doing the same it it feels you know every day that goes by is a day closer to basketball again so if if you keep that in mind then I promise you the sun will look brighter than uh, what you currently see it as maybe. So, yeah. And I think, I think it's a, in summary, I hope Rockets fans truly appreciate the team that they have, you know, Mm -hmm. like the management that they have, you know, I, people feel one way about our general manager, our owner, our superstars. That's great. That's fine. But if you're a Rockets fan, just know that when the season comes back, because it will come back, your team is going to be in the thick of championship talk. And there yeah. are very few teams and fan bases that get to say that. If this season comes back, if you're a Charlotte Hornets fan, like get ready for Tar Heel basketball, right? Like That's what you have to look forward to. Um, the Rockets don't have that. And as long as they have the team that they have, the core that they have, they're going to be in the middle of it. And we're going to get to have incredible playoff matchups and all you can do is ask for a shot right oh you know Giannis is this good uh Kawhi Leonard and, and KD and all that whatever right or not KD uh, uh Anthony Davis they're all that great that's fine let's match up and let's find out you know yeah. you took you took the greatest team in the history of basketball in the Golden State Warriors to seven games without Chris Paul in the seventh game and you nearly beat that team this team can win a championship but they have to. The fan base has to stay behind this team consistently, knowing that they have at least a shot. I can't mm-hmm. wait for basketball season to come back, man. Yeah. It, it, every time we talk, Mike, it's always it's always getting me giddy. Uh, but I'm super forward to watching come back so that we can break down, you know, actual games in real time. Uh, and uh, I can't wait to do that with you. You are the Josh Smith to my Corey Brewer. So drop your Twitter down uh, below so the listeners can follow you. You can follow me on Twitter at UHBigRedHatGuy. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Brenner. Uh, for our next couple of episodes, we are going to look, uh, take a deeper dive into the greatest teams in Rockets history. So uh, the top 15 teams in Rockets history – we did ask for your opinion on thedreamshake.com. We did a bit of a bracket style uh, to get your opinion, but this is hard in my take, and we are going to get Mike's take, my take, and we're going to drop it down for you on the Harden My Take podcast on thedreamshake.com, home of all things Houston Rockets on SBNation.com. Go check us out there. We have all everything you could want for Underdog Week there on our uh, website, so go check us out. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Dreamshake SBN and on Facebook, you can give us a like for all of the Rockets, uh, all of the Rockets news, right on your Twitter page, right on your Facebook page, and right on your uh, Apple Podcasts uh, and where or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe uh, to not miss a single episode from Mike and me. So thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Until next time, go Rockets. <laughs>